we would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where the sky has not fallen, pigs have not flown, and yes, you're still here. That means, well, that means you're still awesome. You're here. Thank you for being alive. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Uh, We've got some really cool uh, things we want to talk about. Uh, The first being, you know, how all of this quarantine is affecting everything. You know, last week we talked about, you know, things you can do and uh, movies you can watch, books you can read or listen to, and games you can play while you're stuck in your home. It seems like this is going on a little bit longer than we thought. It is crazy and insane. I did read one article this morning that was, it it was sad, but at the same time uh, had some humor to it. There was a gentleman in Rwanda that escaped his home because he was quarantined. He was hungry. He decided to sneak out and go down to the river to fish. Well, the crocodiles thought he looked just as appetizing as he thought the fish were. And he got ate by a crocodile. So, I mean, pretty much the headline was man escapes his home uh, due to coronavirus and gets eaten by a crocodile. I mean, you can't make this stuff up anymore. It's it's just crazy. Now, that being said, the one thing that I will promise our listeners out there is that this podcast will not be quite as painful as that crocodile. Exactly. Truth. There there might be some twists and turns, but you're going to survive. That was a grisly scene in my head. Sorry about that, friends. (laughs) That's okay. You know, crocodiles. But this is the thing, you know. When I was reading that, I just imagined Betty White walking up to this poor guy going fishing and saying, hey, I have a crocodile on there. And then, whoop, he gets eaten. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Betty White. Come on, I mean, come on, Lake Placid. Everyone remembers that movie. I, I love Betty White. But um, anyways, with that said, uh, like I said, a lot of things are being affected by this quarantine with uh, the coronavirus. The biggest one that's kind of that affects us here on the podcast is movies. None of us can go out to our favorite movie theater to go watch a movie. And that's affecting a lot of people's lives, jobs. But most importantly, the movie industry is making some bold changes to still get products out out there. You know, uh, in the beginning, we saw companies moving movies out, you know, like Fast and the Furious. That got moved, bumped to next year. Quiet Place 2 got bumped to a later release date. However, as this thing is set in and, it, you know, this quarantine has become longer and longer, these uh, movie production companies are doing something unique and different. They're pushing movie content out early. Uh, we can purchase uh, digital content. Uh, at first, it sounded like it was going to be a rental, but they're actually pushing it out so that you can buy it which is really interesting. Now, you can't buy the physical copy until whatever that release date is, but at least you can purchase the digital. This, in my mind, is kind of interesting because those that are going to buy it digitally, the question is, are you going to pick it up and buy a physical copy? If you're like me, I want a physical copy in case the apocalypse happens and the cloud disappears and I still want to be able to watch my dang movie. I may have to have a gas generator, but hey, I'll still be able to watch my movie hand crank blu-ray just oh yeah get that thing spinning <laughs> you know yeah have one of my kids on a bike just, just pedaling away now keep, no, no 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 this is a good part keep going keep going i don't care how tired you are <laughs> and you know what this is wholly unprecedented now i've 
I, I'm I'm a bit of a movie nut. I yep. used to be a film student, you know, indie filmmaker, all that stuff. Um, and when, I remember being a kid in the 80s, had a VCR, and there were video rental shops that started oh, yeah. popping up, mom-pop shops before Blockbuster and Hollywood Video were a thing. And and um, and I remember the, the long-anticipating wait between it left theaters and it arrived on the shelves. Yeah. I remember in 1989 when Michael Keaton's Batman – Oh, first yeah. first dropped on video like it it was it was a huge box office hit and i remember that being the fastest movie to the shelf in its day it left theaters and hit the video shelves for purchase for rental all that stuff in an incredibly small window of time other movies later down the road many years later would do the same thing like star wars phantom menace was actually pretty quick to video if i remember correctly and then when dvds started coming out we started seeing a little bit more of sort of like a tighter window of time if a movie did really well in theaters not only did it last longer in theaters but when it left theaters there was a shorter window of time you'd have to wait before it hit dvd and then eventually they'd release the special edition and the uh, you know and the director's cut and they would sell it to you seven times or something but never ever in the history of this great planet have we had the technology in place until now where with great quality we could send brand new high definition films to people's houses directly via the air and even though i I, what i should say is that the technology has been around for at least a handful of years now where we could get 4k signal at reasonable speeds at a reasonable price that part is true but because of the relationships between the production studios like universal and warner brothers and disney which is you know 12 other houses but because of their relationship with physical brick and mortar movie theaters there's oh that system of release in theaters let it run for one to three months three to six months later it comes out on physical format and digital same day right that pattern has stayed in place Four years. And now with the first time our country has been in a quarantine state in 100 years. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Universal, they were the first ones to make this move. Universal was like, well, why don't we just release new movies to people at home? Because they can't go to movie theaters anymore. Let's do this direct. In fact, I'm looking right now. Uh, at the posting for Birds of Prey, because other people have been following suit. Disney's following suit uh, with Onward. They've already got it for rent and for ownership. And at the start of next week, I think it is, you can just stream it as part of your membership service. But right now I'm looking at the Birds of Prey film. It's been released for purchase. You can't even rent it yet, but you can buy it. The rent is time delayed until April 7th. Yeah. But you can buy the movie right now for 20 bucks. Well, and the movie's and Doolittle new. is out out as well. You know, yep. that's only been in the theater what, a month, maybe a month and sure. a half. I know it didn't maybe, do yeah. as well. Um, but there are a few other ones where they have the home premieres. Invincible Man, which it, you know, it is listed home premiere from the big screen to your screen and you can rent it for 19.99. There are a few that are renting Emma, again, home premiere, rent for 19.99. The Hunt. The Hunt, yep. Um, so there are a few, but at the same time, some of these other movies are being pushed out quickly. Uh, Bloodshot, the new Vin Diesel superhero one. You can buy it now, but you can't rent it until June 9th. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, and that's really kind of the, the funny thing here, right, is 
a lot of these contracts that have existed with these studios are really archaic. They're things that the paperwork's been touched up a little bit once every year for the last mm-hmm. 40, 50 years. And so now we're seeing some of those artifacts where technically I can distribute the film, but I can't rent it because I already have contracts in place with iTunes or with Amazon or yeah. you know whichever service it is. And the other thing that's really kind of interesting to think about here, if I was Disney this is the point at which I start putting on my gloves and I'm like, here we go. We got this platform up. There's still enough buzz about it that people are excited. You know, there's no way that somebody at Disney hasn't been talking about how do we transition to Disney plus as a primary outlet. But now it's like, get on the phone with everybody. You know, we got to change these contracts up and open it up to a whole new world of possibilities. And so that's where I kind of come to my first big question is, obviously we're gaining some convenience here, but what are some of the pieces of the experience that we may be losing by transitioning to this type of a format? The spectacle of seeing a movie in the theater. Yes, we have our own surround sound systems. We have much bigger screens for televisions, but there is a unique experience of being in a theater with a crowd of people watching a film for the first time i don't know what it is it is something amazing i mean you can take that same movie bring it home and it doesn't have that same effect i i don't know what it is i don't know if it's just nostalgia if it's something within us but it doesn't have the same gravitas I come home, I watch Star Wars. It's still amazing, but it's not the same. You know, if they're to say, hey, we're going to re-release, you can come see Empire Strikes Back in, in the theater. I would totally go again for that experience, even though I have watched it at least one to two times a year because I own it. There's just something about it. The other thing that I, that I worry about is, yes, we're putting all these films out. You know, we're getting to see them early, which is great and fantastic. But what films are being made right now? There is going to be a giant hole that this creates because no one's able to get together to film. So are they maybe doing animation films? We're going to have a huge slush fund of animation films that are going to hit us. Or are we going to have a year like is next year or maybe the year after that where we're going to have a giant hole where we don't have any films? See, and this is one of the reasons that I think Disney should be chomping at the bit because with their acquisition of Fox in particular – But between that and their huge library of stuff, they now have all of these things that are sitting in the pot that could be re-released at any time. The files are there. Mm -hmm. They're ready to go. All they got to do is flip the switch, right? And so you wait until the big guys start to fall and there is that gap. And then you're like, oh, by the way. You know, just like they did back in the 80s and 90s when they started to get into VHS tapes, they came up with this concept of the vault, right? And now they're like, hey, uh, we got this great classic. I know y'all hated the uh, live action Cinderella, so here's the classic (laughs) up again. Hey, uh, we know you didn't feel so great about Dumbo. Here's Dumbo, you know, crows and all, unfortunately, but it's there. There There's nothing wrong with those crows. I love the crows. I, uh, back you know, back when cartoons could be racist, right? I mean, you like know, Song of the South. Why don't they re-release that? Briar, Briar, Briar Rabbit. I mean, come on, Briar Fox. They have a whole freaking ride devoted to the to that movie, and yet they you can't even find it. It was written for a specific time and point in history. It was valid at that point. We don't need to be afraid of the history. But at the same time, you know, there there is one thing I do want to say. 
for those kids right now, it's their senior year right now. Their senior year is shot. I don't know if anyone listens to the show that's actually a senior right now, but for those individuals, this kind of sucks. For anyone that is graduating right now, they were born right after 9-11. I mean, that's a huge, you know, you enter this world and you're born into this kind of crappy time. Now you're being launched into adulthood and you're having to deal with the coronavirus stuff. I, I, I feel sorry for those individuals. One of them is my daughter. I will admit that. Uh, it does bite. She had such amazing plans for her senior year and wrapping it up. And now they've kind of gone out the window. But the cool thing about this is we're rediscovering things that we've taken for granted. We're spending more time with family. We're spending more time connecting with each other. We're spending more time reading a book, uh, watching a good film, going out in nature. I don't know uh, how, what you guys are, but I'm not as much invested on social media. I'm not spending my time scrolling mindlessly through news articles. I'm spending my time in a way that is better. And I'm not taking for granted those things that I had over the years, you know, especially family time and stuff like that. So I don't know. What about you guys? I've definitely seen a pattern that, uh, of what you've just described. Like, in fact, even just today, my kids are eight and five. I know terrible names, but no, I, um, <laughs> my kids are eight and five. And we have neighbors that live two houses down that th- that have kids around those same ages. And They've been thick as thieves forever anyway. But prior to this virus, you know, my daughter goes to school, she comes home in the afternoon, and then she wants to play on the tablet, or she has piano lessons, and then she has dance lessons. And and then by the end of the day, you know, she outside of school, she hasn't really socialized very much. And inside of school, we were all there. The, the way they socialize is either they disrupt class or they socialize during recess. And at, at my at my daughter's school, when they do lunch, they get 15 minutes and then they get kicked out of the lunchroom. Yep. So they have 15 minutes to eat or they don't eat. It's no longer this amorphous 30 minutes to an hour that they can just do whatever they want or, you know, they get more playtime if they eat faster and less if they don't. It's it's they eat and they're kicked outside and they're pulled back in. And so it's very structured, right? And my son goes to preschool three times a week, or at least he did. And that's when he gets to play with other kids. Otherwise, he's here with us. And so then at the end of the day, I'd be like, well, do you guys want to go play with your friends, meaning the neighbors? And they're like, mm, no, we just want to sit and be quiet. And with the with the quarantine, now we're doing homeschool. So we've got school lessons. We've got chores. We've got things that we're doing that are constructive. And we also have lays about time as well. You know, I mean, they're just little kids. But today, I saw them playing with their friends for hours and they were in the backyard on the trampoline, turning each other around and playing games and more for the first time ever. They're like, Dad, come outside and play baseball with us. And so we're out there hitting a wiffle ball and we've never done stuff like this. And now we are. And it's a it's a whole different landscape. We started off talking about the entertainment industry. I dare say that the presence of this virus has the potential to impact how we conduct our lives permanently, yeah. not just for the next two to four weeks. I, I'm kind of curious what you guys think about this. I've been wondering what happens in our area if we're in quarantine for the next month or two, what kind of permanent impact do you think that's going to have on the way that we live lives at home? It is really interesting to think about because we've seen pandemics, uh, even that reach internationally, we've now seen you know, two in the last 200 years. 
but they've never been so well documented. They've never been so well communicated, like people understanding what's going on and, and being able to prepare for them in a very real way to be able to see what's happening. And because of the speed of transportation, you know, viruses have certainly never spread so quickly as yeah. they are right now. But because all of that information is now present and we have, you know, the understanding of medicine and everything that, that we didn't have before, I do fully believe that it's going to change the way that we work as a species. We see situations where even nations who have been historically opposed, a great example of this is, you know, China's now sending out masks to the rest of the world that they're starting to stabilize. We're seeing a lot of the kind of shift both in the political climate, but also in kind of that, that social understanding to say that things that we do really do impact each other in real and meaningful ways, uh, not just economically or socially or politically, but physically. Another great example of this is after they uh, shut down Wuhan and, you know, made everybody stay inside for a month, climatologists were studying what was happening over China and pollution levels in the rest of the world and what was going on with the ozone and watched as everything dropped beyond a reasonable expectation. But it's starting to inform more of the way that we really are connected and it's going to transform, hopefully, the way that we interact with each other in a real way to be more human, you know, at least more kind, hopefully less primitive. I'm going to tie this into a game. When you're playing D&D or any type of role-playing game, you have to work as a team. When you have one person that's out of cohesion, it messes up everything. And that's kind of what we've been running at. We've been running in this weird, mucky, non-cohesive party group that's running around trying to defeat the you know whatever the challenge is we'll say world world peace is the ultimate goal um what what you've got is a team full of uh, of players who are all running into the dungeon and trying to loot the chests before the monsters have been handled it's a bunch of leroy jenkins and no real heroes yeah i i feel like we're starting to kind of unify we're becoming a team Uh, of course it's not going to be perfect there's always going to be differences that it's humanity it's just like a table full of players no one's coming to that table all ready to man i'm going to be the most team player ever bob says this i'm going to be that sally does this i'm going to back her up you know it, it doesn't work that way but i feel like we can get to a much better place the the great thing is you know because i'm trying to tie this back to to, to geekdom is we're kind of seeing something very different than what we've ever experienced. We're getting movies early. We're being able to rent things at home. The movie industry is modifying their giant engine so that they can still make money from us. We can still get entertainment while we're trapped in our homes um, or stuck in our homes. Maybe you're not trapped, but you know, we want to stay here to be well. But ultimately, things are going to change because there's always a great motivator that happens that changes the flux in things. Uh, we've seen it with when CDs came in, 8-tracks came in, we got cassette tapes. Yes, some of you don't know what that is. Then it went to uh-huh. CDs. Now it's really hard to find CDs because now everything's digital. We're moving the same way with movies. There's the Betamax tapes. There's the VHS tapes. That went to DVDs. It went to HD and Blu-ray and Blu-ray 1. The question is, will those stay around? If we're going to see a significant change, we may just 
only have digital film. I don't know. But will theaters survive? I'm going to want to say yes. But at the same time, I always thought video rental places would stick around forever. Because, you know, like Josh was saying, that was the big thing. You know, Friday night, you had to get there first because otherwise you couldn't see your movie for the whole weekend. Because, you know, when you rented it, you only got it for the night unless you got it on Friday. Then you got it for the weekend. And if you didn't get there in time, you were stuck with last week's release or the week before or some old movie that maybe was isn't your favorite. But you decided to try it out and then it turns out to be bad or it maybe it turned out to be good, which can segue into our next segment. I think yeah. it is going to affect things. I really do. I do think it will affect the entertainment industry. You know, if, it, if I can just inject a little bit of history yeah, here just in. really quick. I am a huge video game nut, and I became a pseudo-historian right around the time that we started transitioning out of, like, the PlayStation 2 to PlayStation 3 era, that whole Xbox to Xbox 360. I was deep, deep, deep into what was going on that whole time, and that was also the introduction of... HD DVD and Blu-ray as formats. And I remember watching that battle step for step when it happened. And I'm so glad I did because as time has gone on, it has become apparent to me, especially with where I teach that the history of the, of that format war specifically has been largely forgotten. The only reason that we have Blu-ray today and HD DVD is defunct is because there became a, Pinnacle point. This is the short version. I'll give you the long version some other day. Disney stood up and said, we're going Blu-ray, and it changed the world. And I say that because in all this talk of this move from launching in physical theaters first and prohibiting streaming, except in very specific circumstances, and now shifting because of the quarantine into now we're streaming irrespective of release date, right? Because Disney is now has now done something akin to that with Onward and Doolittle, and now that Disney has tasted that, and for all the reasons that Alton has mentioned, and for all the things that we've said, I think there's potential here for Disney to say, you know what, in the most family-friendly way possible, F this, and we're going to do this now. And I think it might well make a permanent impact on home entertainment. Theaters, I don't think, are going anywhere anytime soon for exactly the reasons that you said, Daniel. I think that just like watching baseball at home on the TV is not the same experience as going to a stadium. And there are certain advantages to watching a live event at home. And there are different experiential advantages in going to a stadium and watching the teams play in person, right? And it's a very different experience and the cost is wildly different. The same thing is true of movies and going to the movie theater versus watching them at home. But because now we've had this sort of alpha experimental version of releasing brand new IP directly to families at home, I think we might see a permanent shift if this quarantine continues for another month or two. So as I've been thinking about this and the way that the industry is moving, I start to think about what are the specific advantages that movie theaters have that you may not have in a home setting. And and the way that I'm projecting this into my into the future, right, this is the official prediction of Alton, is that what we're going to see is your major theaters are going to move to releases, I anticipate probably three to four per year. 
And I believe that they're going to be designed specifically for IMAX experiences and sound optimized experiences, things that are more spectacle that you have to have the equipment, you have to have the size and the scope and everything else to really be able to feel it the best. And they're really going to start to push that. So they'll say, you know, yeah, it's going to come out on the home release, but if you want to experience it the way that the artist intended you got to go to your theater. That being said, the amount of, of money and data and understanding of what an audience likes that you can get directly with streaming, this is going to be the proving ground. Can they figure out a way to make it a hugely sustainable model? Because, you know, right now a production studio is putting out a movie a month, let's say, uh, and you go and you bring yourself, your wife, and your four kids, right? Six people. The production company is only going to see a, a dollar or two per ticket. So you're looking at, you know, six to 12 bucks, probably about $10 for your family to go and see that. Well, if you're already paying that to stream, first off, most families aren't seeing every single film that comes out from a studio every year. Yeah. And so if you're already making that money month to month by having your streaming service set up and then you have these big spectacle events that people go out and do on top of it, the the movie industry is going to find that they're making more money by doing it this way. And so the types of films that go into theaters are going to become more and more technologically advanced, more and more spectacular in nature, where they go above and beyond to take advantage of those technologies and situations and experiences that do require the types of things that you can't do at home. And I think that that's going to change the way that filmmaking works, because we're going to start to optimize for screens that sit in front of a person instead of being projected onto a huge linen screen. Yeah. There's a lot of value there. In fact, that almost everything you said there, I think, is worthy of discussion and deeper diving, which I think might be a future episode personally, because I would love to talk for a whole hour on what we're going to see change in the movie industry because of this whole event. With that said, let's transition over to films. You know, we, we've talked a lot about what's going to happen, but let's talk about films that may have not done as well as expected that you feel should be uh, given another view. You know, what's what, what are some movies that you love that maybe have been touted as a box office bomb or a box office stinker or it's so horrible that it shows up in the Walmart 375 bin? But to you, it's an amazing film that everyone should see. You know, I, I have, again, being a, a sort of a film nut, I have a handful of those that fit that exact criteria. I also have, of course, Forgotten Gems and all that sort of stuff. In in our previous episode, I mentioned Kroll, which was a box office failure, but it is one of my all-time favorite swords. It's a sci-fi fantasy. They build it as a sci-fi fantasy. And one of my is. favorites it's, as well. It's one of my favorites. Now, Now, in truth, if you sit down and you break it down logically, and I've done this with a good friend of mine who's a huge Kroll fan, there are things that don't make sense, and I totally get that. There are also <laughs> things that they never explain that we've talked about. I, again, I could spend hours talking about that. But um, other films in more recent history that I think fit that cast of did not do well at the box office, but it's actually a really good movie. Alita Battle Angel was – one of those movies that most people who went to go see it said, hey, that was anywhere between pretty good to really great. But it just it just it was a slug at the yeah. box office. It just didn't pick up, which was a shame because it's totally cued for a sequel and we'll probably never get one. Yeah. 
But Alita Battle Angel is an excellent sci-fi manga to live action film that I think really sets a new standard for animation to live action transitions. What failed it was marketing. No one had a clue. Unless you were a manga or anime fan, you had no clue what it was. And so people were like, okay, what is this? I think that's where they failed it. Because if you had that knowledge going in, you thought it was amazing. Even if you'd never seen the anime of it, if you knew anime, you thought it was a great film. Those that weren't, a lot of them came out of that going, okay, that was weird. I don't know what I watched. I think that's where things failed, the marketing. Yeah, I can agree with that. You know, I have I, I never read the manga. I never watched the anime. But at least I've been exposed to enough of that kind of media over the yeah. years that when I went to go see the movie, I had a certain framework that I that I mentally was prepared for. And yeah. I think that a lot of people who weren't exposed to that kind of content when they saw it, they were like, what the heck is this? Yeah. Um, which I, I totally agree with you on that one. What are some other films that did not do well but were actually good movies? Elton, do you have one? I've got a few of my favorites, and, and these are going back. Now, a lot of people, for the two that I want to bring up, you may consider these excellent films now. But understand, upon release in the theaters, both of these bombed. The first is Hook. I love, love, <laughs> love Hook. Hook is exceptional. I watched that in theaters when it was new. Rufio! Rufio! Yeah. Bangarang, yeah. Peter. Steven Spielberg actually still to this day really looks down on Hook because it was a movie that almost sunk his career. Uh, Siskel and Ebert at the time said that the film was great until he left for Neverland, which <laughs> is the weirdest statement. But that was the perception at the time. Films were moving very much into serious dramas, very artsy, very historical and intense and then you have this kind of flight of fancy family film that comes out of nowhere and and people were expecting different from spielberg now in the years since people have come to really really love it and if you haven't seen it before go watch it just sit down bowl of popcorn relax don't take it seriously just have fun and there's a lot of childhood fancy in it you know what surprises me? Because uh, I'm with you. I love Hook. I've been wanting to show my kids Hook for like the last several weeks. We just haven't gotten to it, but it is on the top. It's near the top of my list of things I want to show them. Rotten Tomatoes has a 28% rating, and that just boggles my mind. This movie is excellent. On IMDb, it's almost a 7 out of 10. That's not a bad score. And, and Metacritic has it at a 52. None of this makes any sense to me. Well, it, it does make sense. This movie contradicts the imagination of who Peter Pan is. Because, you know, Peter Pan is the boy that never grows up. But this movie, we see the boy that grew up. And not only that, he forgot everything. And we see a beat up, old, tired hook. So it kind of takes away those childhood things of you don't ever have to grow up. It shows we eventually do decide to grow up. And I think that's what really pulled the curtain on everyone's eyes and why they didn't like it. But we've grown up and now we've gone back and said, oh, yeah, I can see the beauty of this film now. So I think that was the biggest thing. It's great because not only that, it teaches us that, yes, we can grow up, but we can still be a kid, enjoy 
those things that we enjoyed as kids, imagination, having fun, connecting with friends and family, which is kind of what we're doing now. So I think it was missed. That was the thing that was missed because everyone was like, oh, my gosh, they made Peter Pan grow up. So I think that's what the big problem was at the time. Just because we grow and mature doesn't mean we have to lose ourselves amidst that growth. It's It's a beautiful thing. I wholeheartedly agree with you. Uh, The other big one that is one of my personal favorite films was Treasure Planet. Yes! Uh, It it was one that (laughs) the writers and directors tried for over a decade to get it into the theaters, and various execs at Disney kept dragging their feet and kicking it down the line and ultimately really set it up to fail. Bad marketing and a misunderstanding of what it was, but visually beautiful the music just moves me every time and it's a coming-of-age story that's geared specifically towards teenagers and so it's still enjoyable by kids and it's still enjoyable by adults but disney marketed it in a weird way so that it didn't go to any particular audience but it's a beautiful beautiful film I remember when they were seeing the commercials for that. They they were like pitching it like it was Treasure Island, but in space. Mm. And it really but isn't that's that. That's what it is. No, I it mean, is it, that. It, it is, but not really. It, it's kind of different. And I think that's the disconnect is, yes, it is Treasure Island in space, but they did it in this way that it's you're expecting Treasure Island, not a space opera with the theme of Treasure Island tied to it. You know, you know what's interesting about about your two picks, Elton, because uh, I've been quietly doing the research while you've been talking. So here's the grand irony: Hook had a budget of just over 70 million, but it pulled in a box office of over 300 million. So I mean, monetarily speaking, it it was successful. It made more than four times of what it cost. But there are articles right beneath that number of Spielberg's Hook, what went wrong, and things like that. And I'm like, what is happening? But then I look at Treasure Planet. And Treasure Planet cost 140 million, and it brought in just under 110. So it's a box office failure by math, and yet has a higher score in IMDb by a smidge. Uh, it's a 7.2 out of 10 instead of a 6. Point, I think we said 8 for Hook. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 69%, where Hook had a 28. And I'm like, what is happening? Don't get me wrong. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. Treasure Planet should have made more money. It actually came out 11 years after Hook, and it should Mm -hmm. have made more money, and it didn't. Yeah, like it was a financial failure, but it has a higher rating in the social media sphere. Hook made way more money than it cost, and it has a much lower rating in the social media sphere, and I just don't understand people anymore. Well, and that's where, and and this is, you know, and and we'll talk more about this in a future episode, but this is also one of the other things that's going to be changing about this model is the way in which we talk about films, how we critique them, and whether we deem them worthy of our time or not. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, what are your movies? What what movies do you think fall into that cast of box office, boo-hoo, but (laughs) were actually really good movies? I I picked out three. Uh, I'm going to go from my... The lowest to the highest. So the lowest, actually, The Wraith. I don't know if you ever saw this. That's an uh, old one. Mark Hamill, I know. right? Charlie yeah. Sheen. Charlie, Charlie Sheen. Sheen. Uh, he plays a guy that ends up getting killed by this gang, and he comes back to life, and he's driving this super race car and ends up slowly picking off everyone from this gang. 
Um, it's almost and, like a Ghost Rider-esque story. Yeah, it definitely is. I remember watching that movie over and over because there was this really awesome car. It was 1986. This really awesome car that just comes out of nowhere, and it races. And there's one point where the guy's like, I need to see what's under your hood. And he lifts it up, and there's this blue light that just glows. And he's like, I don't know what's under here. You it know, was and Marcellus just, Wallace's soul. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that one – is one that is just like I have no clue, but it you know had Charlie Sheen in it. Still today is one of my favorite. The other one, and it, it, it was a box office failure. My second one on my list is Dune. <gasps> oh my god! How can what a you not film. love that film? Great cast. I mean Patrick Stewart. You got Sting. Um, Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah, I mean there's just, just it's it's great. This, the, the little sister still creeps me out with her with her blue eyes and her creepy <laughs> voice. But it's a fantastic movie. Uh, considering when it was done, you know, 1984, when it was done, and what they were able to accomplish with what they had at that time, it is a fantastic movie. It didn't do very well, but it is definitely a cult classic and definitely one you need to, to watch. Well, if I can just jump in for a second. Yeah. I remember – working at Suncoast selling movies and I also used to work at like a video rental store and there was a time in the late 90s early thousands I think it was like 1999 2000 sci-fi did a miniseries recreation of yeah, Dune they did. and it was like a reinterpretation and I got to be honest with you in my opinion it was god awful it was, it was it just was. tremendously horrendous and I remember talking to people when this was starting to come out like on VHS and DVD I would tell them all the time, I'm like, dude, the 1984 version is far superior. And it was the Mandela effect that I was witnessing, not knowing that's what it was at the time, because they were like, oh, no, the sci-fi version is way more true to the book. The movie version from the 80s is not completely the opposite. If you've read the book, obviously they had to cut stuff out in the 80s film because it had to be a certain length. Yeah. But with the exception of the still suits, with the exception of the still suits – Everything in that movie was exactly as the book described, and like I think something like 90% of the dialogue was straight from the book, right out of the book, line for line, word for word. And the still suits they came up with in 1984 were so freaking cool. Yeah. Like they didn't they didn't violate the integrity of the book. They just reimagined what that would look like so that it would actually serve the way the book yeah. described. The 1984 movie is incredible, and don't let anybody tell you that it's not faithful to the book. It absolutely is. Yeah, the TV series came out in December 3rd of 2000. And it was so, trash. It was it, utter trash. Yeah, it was It was three episodes, <laughs> so that's all you got. It, it wasn't that great. Let um, the hate flow through you. Yes. So <laughs> Just realize my, that my opinions aren't opinions. They're facts. My final <laughs> movie choice – in fact, I have the poster right here next to me – is – the Army of Darkness. Oh, yes! I have to watch it every Halloween. It's my uh, it favorite is, Evil Dead film. It is. It is. It's the Quint. You know, I, I do have the other Evil Deads, but I, I don't watch them like I do Army of Darkness. It is fantastic. Probably one of my all-time favorite portrayals that Bruce Campbell has ever done. It's got great one-liners. You can't take it seriously, but you can take it seriously enough to enjoy it. I, I laugh every time. You know, he, he says, give me some sugar, baby. Enough with the pillow talk. Yeah, just there's all these weird, crazy things, you know. You know, what were the words? What were the words? Klaatu Varata. I said the words. It's great. You know, it's something you don't expect. You really don't expect 
what this film was. I remember going to the film. I bought tickets to go in thinking, okay, I don't really know what this was because they weren't pitching it as Evil Dead 3. It was Army of Darkness. And so I go in. I took my little brother with me. We were watching this. And I see the cutback where they're talking about what happens. I'm like, what? This is Evil Dead. What? And then I just was mesmerized as it unfolded because if you've watched Evil Dead 1 and 2, it's like some college dude got a camera and went up into the woods with some friends and shot a movie. I know. I know that's what it is. That's why I'm saying it. But this was a full movie production, and it was amazing. It didn't do well. It didn't. But no, it didn't. People still love that movie. People still watch it. It is definitely a cult classic, and it is done so well that I see movie posters for it probably more than most movies I see out there. So it is my number one out of movies that didn't do well that you should go watch. Of all coincidences, I was playing The Division 2 the other night, j- just this week, with a buddy of mine, and he he found two weapons. Both of them are, are variations of the shotgun double barrels, yeah. and one of them is called the boomstick, and the, the other boomstick. one, which is the sawed-off pistol alternative, is called the backup boomstick. And nice. he and I were joking about the reference back to Army of Darkness, and we both said, shop smart, shop S-smart. S-smart. S-Mart is the most brilliant, artificial, made-for-a-movie store ever conceived. It makes sense. I mean, at the time that this was made, Kmart was a big deal. Yes. So Kmart's like, a huge okay, deal at the time. So, so how do we do this without like having to pay Kmart? Oh, we'll just change the K to an S. All right. It's a store. Store Mart. All right. Let's do it. Uh, so that's where <laughs> we get S-Mart, you know? Yeah, but but even just that slogan, someone, someone yeah. got paid and they oh, yeah. should and they probably didn't get paid enough yeah. to say shop smart shop s smart. I was like that's the best freaking slogan. Yes, you're right. Army of Darkness was so intriguing when it came out because I think even to this day it is the most profound horror satire ever created. Like yeah. it, it's a satire, it's a comedy, it's a sat- it's a satirical film, but it's not just dark humor. It's actually horror humor, right? Yeah. It's it's humor modified by horror. And I don't think I've ever seen a film do that so well since. You could talk about Leslie Nielsen's Dracula Dead and Loving It, but that's just that's not even the same level. They're not even the same playing field, right? Young that was Frankenstein. I mean, yeah. yeah. So for Halloween, I always do videos that I put to music, and every year I play scenes from Army of Darkness with Oingo Boingo's No One Lives Forever. It works beautifully. You have zombies and undead and running around, and the song just works perfectly. But it's a classic. It's a great film. So if you have not seen it, go see it. If you haven't seen any of the movies we just suggested, go see them. Pick them up. You can definitely find them on iTunes. You can find them at your streaming services. I'm sure a friend has it that you can borrow. If you can get to them without getting arrested. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, have a secret secret drop-off point. As long as you're six feet away, have them walk up, put it on your lawn, step back to their car, you walk up and pick it up. The social distancing of six feet. That's um, right. That's what your mailbox there, is for. Yeah, there are, there are ways to do this. But that's, I mean, that's the great thing. Right now, we're getting to enjoy and partake of things that maybe we haven't tried. Maybe uh, we have missed out and we want to watch again. You started out the show talking about Batman, you know, the the Tim Burton, Michael Keaton Batman. I love that film. I, I don't really like the two after that or four or five. I can't remember how many it, Joel Schumacher <laughs> did. Um, but I remember that one. I love that particular film. 
I know Batman Returns had uh, Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. Didn't really do anything for me. It probably would have been okay if they hadn't put Danny DeVito as the Penguin, but eh, it is what it is. Jim Carrey is the Riddler. Uh, and Tommy Lee Jones is Two-Face, even though we had Lando Calrissian. Billy Dee Williams is uh, Harvey Dent in the first movie, so apparently Harvey Dent changed colors. Uh, maybe it's a different Harvey Dent. But anyways, I'm just saying... That one is my favorite. Has a brilliant soundtrack. Has a great, great script. Visually stunning. Definitely pick that one up. Take a watch of that. In fact, the Arrowverse, when they did this big crossover event, Crisis on Infinite Earths, they paid homage to all those movies. The very first scene you see is from the Batman movie, That Earth. You see, uh, what is his name that was the reporter that wore the hat and wore the, the trench coat? I can't remember his name now. I can't remember his name right now either. Yeah, but I know but what you're talking about. But he's always trying to d- date Vicky De- Vale. So they show him <laughs> where he's reading the newspaper. I, I really like that they paid homage to all these different films that have been made and said, hey, these are all different Earths out in this multiverse, and we're combining them together, which I think was a good move by Warner Brothers. But ultimately, this is a great time to go try out films that you've never seen. Maybe skip Troll 2. It's it's not worth doing. <laughs> well, if you watch that one, watch the Rift Tracks version because that's when it's special. Yeah, there are a few weird movies out there that maybe you'll end up liking. You know, I love Monty Python: Search for the Holy Grail. My kids think it's the stupidest movie in the world. That's okay because they don't get that humor. I do. It's hilarious. Check out some Monty Python. If you're not fans of that, there are so many different uh, movies, films, TV series. You know, maybe watch the old MacGyver movies or TV shows. Maybe watch the current MacGyver TV shows or even Magnum P.I. A-Team. A-Team. Gotta love A-Team. Uh, Mr. T. Even Battlestar Galactica. Oh. There are so many great films and TV series out there for you to enjoy. There are great games and books to enjoy. Share them. I, I think that's the biggest thing we can take right now why we're in our homes and not able to connect with our friends and family unless it's over Skype or Zoom or some other social media platform. Share those films that you watched as a kid that you enjoyed or maybe you haven't really let your family know. Never Ending Story. Oh, not, qu- not quite the same as when you were a kid, but still, it, it, it does have some moments when you will cry and shed a tear, especially for that dang horse. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> That's all I'm saying, that dang horse. Even watching Onward the other day. Dang it. Oh, man. man that was a tearjerker. Yeah, it's a beautiful film, and it made me cry like at least three I times. I hate Pixar. Every yes. time they Every make me cry. Time. A proven fact. Pixar purposely makes their movies so grown men cry. Because everyone else will cry. If they can make grown men cry, they know everyone else is going to cry too. <laughs> uh, so true. So true. Yes. So enjoy those movies. Try something new. Be surprised that maybe something out there that you've thought, you've looked at that cover and said, "Ah, that looks stupid. It could be a hidden gem that you're going to love forever. And you know what? On that note, if you have some hidden gems that we should check out, you should definitely communicate that to us. Daniel, how can they give us their opinions? So you can email us at info at DungeonCrawlersRadio.com or uh, check us out on our Facebook or Instagram page, which is easy. Dungeon Crawlers, it's easy. Just Find us on Facebook. Just search us up by Dungeon Crawlers. But email is also the easiest way. That way you don't have to search. Just type in the email address and send away. Uh, give us your list, and we will mention you and your list. And you know, give us a little synopsis why you think it is awesome, like we have done. Make it reasonable, not vulgar. 
You know, it can't be because it's the effing bomb. We're not going to say that. Uh, well, maybe we'll say <laughs> effing, but we won't say the actual word. But, uh, yeah, you know, bomb is a terrible word. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, a four-letter be, word, right? <laughs> yeah. Be creative in the way you express things and let us know why it's something that you have enjoyed, why you still watch it. There there are so many film, great films out there. You know, if you love dragons, Dragonheart. Pretty much every Dragonheart movie they've ever made is on Netflix right now. Uh, Rain um, of Fire. Rain of Fire. Rain of Fire. In there. Yes, I love Rain of Fire. Love Rain of Fire. Can't go wrong with Christian Bell or, or Gerard Butler. And Matthew McConaughey. Uh, Matthew McConaughey yelling, that's what we need. I just, yeah. oh my God. Matthew McConaughey that looks like a barbarian for crying yeah, out loud. Like yeah, he's a Viking in that one. I know. Jeez, that but, should have been on my list of, of things that failed at the box office and was a gem. Yes. Rain of Fire is excellent. But anyway, back to you. We've already thrown out some more movies for you to check out. If you're going to check out Dragonheart, definitely go with the first one. You know, Dennis Quaid, Sean Connery. You can't go wrong with Sean Connery. Cannot. And in this case, he's a freaking dragon. Well, there is maybe one movie you could skip with Sean Connery. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, maybe. Uh, no, no, no. If you're going to skip one with Sean Connery, skip. Oh, it was the one where, where you have uh, Ray Fiennes as an agent with Uma Thurman. I suddenly can't remember what it's called, but it was terrible. Sean Connery was a villain, and it was just awful. I, I can't even remember what it's called right now. I'll have to look it up. But yeah, skip that one. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, it's okay. But I hear what you're saying. It was not his best film. It was a film that had a ton of potential and just didn't quite live up to it. Oh, The Avengers, that was the movie. Yes, The Avengers, but this yeah. is based on the 1960s super spy Avengers, show, yeah. not Marvel. Kind of funny. The reason Sean Connery took that role as Alan Quartermain is because he was originally given – the role of Sauron on the White in Lord of the Rings. And he's really? like, I, I have no clue what this film is. I'm not going to do it. So they went with Christopher <laughs> Lee. And then he saw how much of a box office hit it was and how much money he lost out. And he's like, huh. So he did League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. It didn't do very well. He decided to kind of retire after that. Well, he married Catherine Zeta-Jones, so I think he pretty much peaked. Uh, no, that, that's my... Oh, no, 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 wait. No, no, I'm sorry. That was... <laughs> Michael Douglas, Michael Douglas, yes. Who married Catherine Zeta-Jones? Yes. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. No, Sean Connery. I wish there'd be another film, but sadly, he is up there in age. I'll just have to reminisce in my old James Bond movies and other things. So, with that being said, folks, stay safe out there. Give us your thoughts on what films are your treasures, and we will catch you next time. And until next time, Internet, please always remember to be epic. And don't suck. Remember, the force will be with you. Always. Dungeon Crawlers.